The Sports Career Podcast, episode 347. How can data reduce ACL injuries in women's football? Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest with regards to sports medicine, ACL injury in the women's football industry and game. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Dr. Carly Richards, who's a podiatric surgeon, sports medicine and wound care specialist at the Richards Orthopaedic Centre. Also, Dr. Carly is a US ambassador of Spirit of Football. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Dr. Carly as a podcast special guest on the show, where she will share her sports career journey and explain to you why data is so important with regards to reducing ACL injuries in the women's game. Have a listen and enjoy. Carly, it's such a joy to have you on the Sports Career Podcast. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? So my sports journey started when I was a child, as most do. I was a football or soccer player growing up. Um, I also did other sports. I was a springboard diver in college and also enjoy water skiing, so I'm an avid athlete. My um, research started as a physician when I was just out of residency. I joined my father's practice, who's an orthopedic surgeon. And I am one of five children, so I'm the oldest, and I have a younger sister who's 11 years younger than me. So when I was practicing medicine, she was in high school playing soccer. And during her high school and college career, she suffered two ACL tears and a brain bleed all on the soccer field. She's fine. She's actually a physician herself and practicing medicine, so she is 100% fine. But... I was home and witnessed these injuries while I was a physician and she was an athlete, I would go to her games. And um, that really got me into taking a step back. I said, okay, why are these things happening? And she wasn't the only one. There were several girls on her team that were also tearing their ACLs. So this started in 2008 for me, um, diving into this. And it's just my passion for it has grown over the years. And so that's my story. Just going back before we dig deep of like the reason why you're so involved in ACL. And like you've just said, just want to go back to your father, like relating from the career journey. What did you learn from him, which supported you in the current career you're currently doing? So I've always learned when I speak to people, there's always patterns of how our parents can influence our journey. And I'm just curious, before we go deep on the ACL you're literally you're learning lessons from your dad in what you're currently doing now. So this is interesting. It goes back past my father. My grandfather was an orthopedic surgeon as well. And they were both heavily involved with sports medicine. So they treated athletes, um, covered American football players, soccer players, rugby players. And I was brought up in that type of family of, of a of sports medicine mindset. So I learned at the kitchen table growing up how to look at an x-ray and, you know, would listen to the stories about different athletes that they treated 
My grandfather was actually the first orthopedic surgeon to describe a non-contact ACL injury. Yeah, and, and I think it was 1972 or 73. He wrote a paper on it, and this was before they had MRI um, CT scans. They just had x-ray. And so he would cover um, the football, meaning American football players. Um, in his practice, he covered a few college teams. And he would, these players would come see him, and they would have knee injuries, but it was non-contact. So players would come in, my knee hurts, it's swollen, I can't run, nobody hit me, I don't know why. They usually treated them as sprains. They would wrap them, keep them off the field for a few weeks, send them back, and they would have instability. So the players you know, weren't performing like they did before the injury, even though there was no contact. So this was you know, a, a, an interesting time in medicine where they were trying to figure these things out. And so my grandfather decided to take these players to the operating room because, again, they didn't have the diagnostic studies. They didn't have MRI. They didn't have CT scans. And we can't see ligaments on x-ray. You can only see bone on x-ray. So he took these players to the operating room, opened them up, and was finding that their ACL ligaments were torn. And, you know, did this to, with several players. Obviously, he would then repair them in the operating room. The player would come back to m much more stability, able to play better. And after um, doing this for several players, he, he wrote the first paper on it. Whoa, that's so cool. So just on that, that little case study, how has it elevated that curiosity even more on this topic? I know you mentioned your father and then grandfather. How has it supported you now with a knowledge standpoint? I'm just curious of, like, the patterns from the past which, as we discussed, we're at the Athens Women's Football Summit over breakfast, that there's still that educational piece that needs to be elevated in the game. So I'm just curious from the past, how has it supported you in the current work you're doing? We'll, we'll dig deep, everybody, and you're in for a real treat. But just on this point, how has it really enhanced your personal knowledge looking back? So he was the first physician to describe the plant and turn injury, which is what we are you know, talking about now with our female uh, football player injuries. So for him to you know, make that discovery in the 1970s, and now you know, we fast forward to you know, where we're at now in, in the women's game. In the 70s, the women's game was, was just starting out. That, you know, we weren't even looking at women's soccer players and their injury patterns. That wasn't even a, a conversation. So I, I think it's kind of cool where I'm at. You know, he made this discovery in the 70s, and I think now we need to advance medicine even more and look specifically at female athletes and why their injury rate is so much higher than, than men. So it, it, it comes full circle in a way. But the other thing that I, I've, I've learned about from my grandfather and my father is, is to pursue, you know, passions as a woman. They were wonderful role models and supported my career path. Um, they supported me on the athletic field, but also as a physician. And it's interesting. There's a lot of correlations between um, professionalism in, in all realms for women, whether it be on, on the playing field as a medical doctor, as a nurse, um, a teacher. You know, we've, we've all had to forge our, our way and, and um, I think that's that's what I've done in the medical profession as well as you know I demand equality and and we can work beside men we we are you know just as smart just as skilled and I think on the playing field our women have shown that which is great but we also have to recognize their different anatomy their different neuromuscular makeup um, hormones play play a part of it and how how it makes us different and how that definitely affects the injury rate people who want to work in sports medicine, and you've just touched on it there, how important is it for people who want to work in this field to be, when I say open-minded, being mindful that the male body isn't the same as the female body, sport 
or non-sport. The reason I share this is this is more like what skill sets have supported you in sport medicine, but also I'm more curious of how you approach your work with you know females with ACL injuries and like in particular, what skills have supported you in the current work you're doing on that? So the listeners can, as I say, be open-minded then just having the formal sets of skills you need to work in sports medicine. I hope that makes sense. Sure. So one skill set is, like you said, open-mindedness. We have to recognize our differences. Now, in the world of female football, and, and we want to recognize equality. Yes, we are equal in, in many ways to men, but we also have to rec- recognize our differences because if we don't recognize those differences, we, we can't really fully understand why our injuries are different than men. So you have to be open-minded in looking at both aspects of it. We want to be on the same playing field on the same pitch as men, which we fully deserve to be, but we also have to take a broader look at how we are made differently and, and how that affects our injuries and recovery. Could we do one little example, and it does relate to the amazing breakfast we had. You talked about like the female body with quads and yeah. the hamstrings. Like, Could we just touch on this one little case study example? Because for me, when you explain that, it just shows that th- from a physiological standpoint and when playing football, it's totally different, and that can influence more ACL injuries as an example. Sure. So from a neuromuscular standpoint, men and women um, have a little bit difference in their strength. Women are what we call quadricep dominant. Our quads are stronger than our hamstrings, usually, unless you do a crazy you know, training routine to make your hamstrings the same strength as the quads. So when a woman comes down from a jump or lands, we tend to hyperextend our knee because we're quadricep dominant. Our quads fire stronger than our hamstrings do. When a man comes down from a jump, the quads and hamstrings fire at about the same strength, which causes them to bend their knee a little bit more and creates more stability for the knee complex. Awesome. So I hope you're taking notes, everybody. And we'll dig deep into this. One other aspect I want to talk about, because it may be stating the obvious, because we just think of football, getting a ball, going on a pitch and just getting some boots. I want to talk about the boot aspect, if you don't mind, particularly the rotation of like female boots need to be slightly different with the rotation, like you said, with with the muscular side of things. Can you just touch on that as well? Because it's one of the pillars that you mentioned. I don't give too many of the pillars away, but I think the boot aspect is fascinating because we can't just assume that female athletes wear the same football boots as male athletes with regards to reducing ACL injuries, as an example. Sure. So we'll back up a little bit to anatomy. Um, Women have a little bit of a different uh, structure to their hips and legs than men. We have wider hips, and because of that, we have a wider Q angle. That's an angle from the hip bone to the knee. So with this wider Q angle, it causes what is known as internal tibial torsion and knee valgus. It also causes women to have a little bit more pronation of their foot. So all of those differences puts more pressure on the anterior and medial knee on a woman than it does for a man because of the angle of the hips. Now, getting into the boot question, because we have a little bit more internal tibial torsion and a little bit pronation of the foot, women should be wearing a boot that has a bit more of an arch support that will put them out more, meaning it will take more pressure off of the medial knee. So that's a mouthful. It, it's hard to understand. It's, it's easy, much easier when you have visuals. So it, it's a little bit hard to explain over a podcast. But long story short, a pronation, pronation means you turn in, meaning the foot turns in um, 
internal tibial torsion means the leg turns in. So what we want to do is, is turn the woman out a little bit with the shoe. So I think a boot that addresses that is very beneficial. If we can add a little bit of an arch support to the boots that are on the market to decrease the medial knee pressure that will hopefully help to decrease some of the injury rate. And just one thing from, I would say, a club perspective or anybody who is hosting any games, like how important is the surface? Because it much, again, we assume that everybody plays on grass, but that's sometimes not the case. You know, even in the women's game, there's some, you know, World Cups that have been on, you know, AstroTurf. And I know moving forward, it will be on grass. But how does the surface influence these increase of ACL injuries as well, potentially? Sure. So that um, there's a few answers to that. One is training and, and game playing. So we want to make sure that we're training on the same surfaces that we're playing our matches on. And this is a problem, especially in w with women's sport, because a lot of times we get the secondhand field. The, the men are practicing on grass, so you have to practice on the turf field and then play your games on grass or vice versa. Um, it, it happens a lot in, in the United States with high school sports. Um, the um, teams practice on one surface and then play on a different surface this is not good for men or women we should be training on the surface that we're playing on uh, for two reasons one it'll de decrease the injury rate because your body will be used to the playing surface that it trains on and two it can really um the the stud length on your cleat can have an impact on that so this is important education for coaches and players and parents look at your stud length there are different stud lengths for different playing surfaces if you're playing on artificial turf, you need the studs to be a little bit shorter and more conical so that the foot slides. If you're playing on grass, it's okay to have a longer cleat. Um, if you w wear a grass cleat on a turf field, the chances of that cleat getting stuck in the turf are exponentially high, which can greatly increase your risk of ACL injury because what happens is that cleat will, will grab onto the turf and your foot will not slide. And that's what we call plant and turn injury. So if you plant your foot and turn your leg, but your foot doesn't slide with your leg, you will injure your knee. So that's why stud length is so important for men and women. Now, it's a little bit more important for women because of our wider hips and our tibial torsion and, and pronation because we're a little bit more prone to, to get that foot stuck in because we, we already turn in. So um, these Newer cleats on the market are starting to address that, which is excellent. Uh, one of the boots I recently looked at has a circular pattern for their cleat so that the foot ideally will turn with the leg. And another one has a shorter, more conical stud so that the same, same idea, the foot will, will slide when the leg turns. Again, I hope people are taking notes. I find this fascinating. And I want to now sort of pivot the conversation relating to today's podcast topic because it's all about data. And if you're studying sports science, this is why you've got to go to those data analytic classes, because when you understand the power of data, it can help solve problems. So today's podcast topic is how the power of data can really support sort of ACL injury prevention when utilizing that data for the good of solving problems, which I would say currently now in like the educational aspect, but also the recovery as well and all aspects of how data can be used to solve this ACL aspect in the women's game. So I'd love to hear your thoughts of how data is really important in your opinion, Carly. Yeah, so data is hugely important because we know, we know that women tear their ACL 
five to eight times more often than men. That is, uh, studies have been done on that. We know, we, know, we know that's happening. The question is why? And we don't have the data for that yet. We don't have enough studies to tell us why this is happening. There are several factors that play a part in this. One is anatomy, which we just talked about, our, our Q angle, our tibial torsion, our pronation. The second one is neuromuscular, which we talked about. Uh, a third topic, which I haven't touched on yet, is hormones. So um, obviously, women and men have different hormones. This is no surprise to most people. Hormones actually play a role in injury. Women have what's called ligamentous laxity right before ovulation, and that's in what we call late phase two of the menstrual cycle, and that's when estrogen is high and progesterone is low. During this phase, our ligaments are a little bit looser, which causes instability of the knee, and this can increase injury rate for some female athletes. So this is another data point which needs to be looked into in addition to uh, plane surfaces and shoe gear. So we have um, anatomy, neuromuscular, hormones, plane surfaces, and shoe gear. We need to be looking at all five of those points and, and try and get a better picture of what's going on with our female athletes so we can make appropriate medical suggestions on, to, on how to decrease the injury risk. So again, I'm gonna go like down to earth question. Could be a simple one, but I think it's important. With this research, like why is that important from your perspective now to, with that data gathering is it because you said those five points but in your opinion from that data how can that make positive change because i did research and i love it but it was more how we can turn that research into positive change certainly on the pitch i'll just love your thoughts on that the more data we have the the better um, conclusion and recommendations we can make so if we can get the players, number one, to participate in the study and the coaches and the, the soccer football organizations to back it, then we can come up with some pretty cool study to gather more information. And with that information, you know, tell the soccer player what the risks are and how they can mitigate those risks. And just from a coach perspective, how can this data benefit them? You, you, you hinted it just then, but when we had our breakfast conversation about data, it can help them potentially make better decisions of picking their team relating to the data, relating to their players and performance, not just data they're used to with sprints and how fast they're going to actually prevent them sort of overplaying if the certain data as we talked about can influence injury. I'm just curious of how the data could potentially help coaches from this side of things, certainly on an educational standpoint for one. So if we look at those five things and say we did the study and we had thousands of participants and after so many years we, we have some conclusions. We don't have this study, but say or perhaps the study shows that um, it's more of a neuromuscular problem than anything else. So then we would be able to make recommendations to the physiotherapists and the strength and conditioning coaches and the coaches on how to better train the players from a neuromuscular standpoint. If we find that perhaps it is a biomechanical problem, uh, that shoes make a huge difference. Well, that's an easy one, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to, to get our players in the correct shoes to accommodate for their um, lower extremity biomechanics. Uh, same goes for the other, you know, points, hormones that can also be tracked. And I, I do know that there's a lot of organizations out there that are doing 
um, period tracking and um, different strength and conditioning programs and trying to encourage better nutrition during different parts of the cycle. So it's not that it's not being done, it is. And I think that's wonderful, but I don't know that all of these aspects are looked at uh, under the same roof. We need to bring it all together to kind of figure out w what of, of those five areas might be the most causative, or maybe they all contribute the same, and then we have to, you know, look at look at all of them and incorporate all of them, which which I think we should anyways. So it's it's that's a complicated answer because I don't have the data and I don't have I can't give you any recommendations right now. However, when you look at each of those five um, topics individually, I can give you recommendations from from what I think already. Um, I think that that women should be in a in a uh, football boot that has a better arch support that has shorter studs um, in different patterns to help prevent the point and turn. I think that all of the shoe companies should do this and not just one or two because that's, you know, that's a big deal. I, I think that we should be training our female athletes differently than men. The strength and conditioning has to be completely different because of our neuromuscular makeup. I think that we should be training proprioception, balance, and landing at an early age. You can't teach a female athlete how to land when they're 16. You have to teach them when they're six. So, you know, it's like learning to walk, and you can't change someone's landing pattern when, they're, when they've already are heavily into their sport. So these are things that have to be done from, from a youth level, both the training and, and the proprioception and balance and, and landing techniques. So there's, there's so many recommendations for each of these topics. I find this so fascinating and I'm just curious on one question. Except how the power of this potentially when get off the ground we're getting the data, what results would you like to see except of course reducing the number of ACL injuries but on an internal standpoint what would you love to see the research have a big change in the game moving forward? I know it's a big question, but I'm just curious from this side of things, like from a performance standpoint. So I would like it to be much more female specific. I would want, you know, the strength and conditioning coaches not to be the men's football coach that's filling in for the women's team. I, I and, and that's on, I'm talking about lower levels. I know our international players have their own specific female uh, strength and conditioning coach, but we don't have that in high school in the United States. And in college, it's rare. I was a collegiate athlete. The, I went to Notre Dame, I was a collegiate athlete, and my strength and conditioning coach was the men's football strength and conditioning coach that like was training the linebackers. Think about that. <laughs> and that needs to change, and, and I think it's starting to, but it needs to change more quickly. So I think that, that in itself would make me happy if we just you know, started from the ground up on a f more female-specific um, training reg regimen for our athletes at all levels. And I think the same with, with gear, with um, not only uniforms, because that's finally happening, but shoe gear, shin guards, all of it needs to be tailored to our women because we are made differently. So all of those things, if, if I can start to see that more um, trickle down, not just on the on the international um, professional level, but on for my my girls' high school soccer team, uh, that would be amazing. So just to be clear, the listeners like implementing what you just say at the grassroots level to then professional away it up. Yeah, I see you nodding your head, which is really I think it's really important because we always think about the elite end, but not put those grassroots elements right from the get go. 
I'm going to pivot the conversation again. I've got this beautiful ball here with so many signatures, which has gone literally around the world. Carly, just share this story and what is the vision and the purpose of this ball? Yes, so I am the USA ambassador for an organization called Spirit of Football. And this is an organization that was started by Andrew Aris. He has passed a football or soccer ball around the world um, for the past several World Cups, and they have all gone to a men's World Cup. They've represented different things in the past. Um, They've supported refugees, Special Olympics. This journey for this ball has been focused on gender equality in football, as well as positive climate action. And this ball um, went to the Women's World Cup this year in New Zealand and Australia. It was kicked off um, over a year ago in Battersea Park in London, July 2022, and traveled around the world. It's been all through Europe. It's been in South America, North America, Asia, uh, Australia, New Zealand. It's been everywhere. Um, I have been lucky enough to to accompany it to many of these countries. I um, have taken it to Chile, to Canada. Um, We're in Greece now. (laughs) And uh, Jordan. I I went to Jordan and actually did a a medical education uh, workshop with the Jordan Women's National Team with the U.S. State Department, and the ball came with me. So the Jordan Women's National Team has signed the ball. We had the U.S. Women's National Team sign the ball. Um, the Spain women's national team signed the ball, and New Zealand women's national team has fi- signed the ball, Canada. Um, so many amazing players and fans alike. So this is not about um, what famous person has signed the ball. It's about unifying everyone. So we have kids, um, adults, uh, athletes, musicians, artists, um, people in the streets, everyone. It's, it's for everyone to sign. It's about unity. It's about bringing people together, and it's to support gender equality in our wonderful sport of football. I could just see the the smile while you're talking. I'm just curious from the journey of this ball, how fulfilling has this journey been? You know, I'm just, I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm looking at it right now. I'm just curious from a journey standpoint, how fulfilling has this movement with this ball been? I'm I'm just curious. I'm in awe, by the way. Oh, it's been amazing. I mean, first of all, it, it's taken me places I never thought I would go. It's also given me a platform to speak about the importance of gender equality in medicine and in our sport. So it's not only represented the equality of of, um, of gender and sport uh, in general, but also it, it can take you in different avenues. Um, and it's allowed me to speak about the differences in, in men versus women in football and in anatomy and how it affects us from an injury standpoint. And just final thing, I was just thinking it while you're talking, how can this ball or how has this ball been a great symbol? Because I've always think to create real change, having a symbol behind it can actually build that momentum, which it obviously has because there's so many signatures every day. I'm looking at it right now, but I'm just curious of you know, they always say that football can really change the world and solve problems on and off the pitch. I'm just curious from your experience how this ball has either educated people, made people more aware and how football can, as they say, change lives for the good with this great symbol of change. I'm just, again, I'm in awe, but I think it's an important point that having a symbol behind something can create the movement of real change. So it definitely brings people together. A a real quick story. We had the women's national team from the United States sign the ball and, um, right before I went to Jordan. 
and I brought the bottle of Jordan with me, and we worked with some youth soccer there, some of the um, young girls' um, soccer teams, and we had them sign the ball, and Alex Morgan's signature was quite visible at the time because it, if you see a picture of it, these uh, signatures go over each other, and these young girls in Jordan, they all knew who Alex Morgan was, and for them to sign the same ball that she did was like they were crying. It was the most amazing thing for them. And that in itself just shows you the unity, uh, you know, behind it and how it brings people from all over the world together from different walks of life. You know, these were, you know, young um, Jordanian girls just learning to play football. And they signed the same ball that their hero did who lives in the United States. And that, that gave them hope that, you know, maybe someday you know they could be the alex morgan of jordan or or they could uh, accomplish their dream it 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 unifies women and girls around the world and really you know shows how how dreams are made i mean i just i just thought that was one of the coolest things how important it was for those young girls to sign the same ball that that their hero had signed it's the spirit of football. Not till I put the pun on it, but I'm being really truthful. It is that spirit, which I think that's why I love the organisation name because the ball identifies that of the mission behind it. Look, Carly, out of interest, though, reflecting from your career journey, what have you enjoyed the most looking back right now? You're asking me hard questions. <laughs> um, the learning process behind all of this. I have learned immensely about different cultures. I've learned about the struggles that women and young girls have in different countries, uh, about inequity and inequality that us in the United States, you know, don't even think about. So I, I think that's the most important thing that I've learned. It's really been eye-opening and also encouraging. You know, like I said, these young girls in Jordan, they, they don't have the same um, privileges or or a access to sports and, and different things that we do in the United States. So it, it gave them hope and it also you know, educated me on, on different religions, different culture, different belief systems and, and how lucky we are um, in, you know, in the United States, in Europe, to have the, the freedom to do what we want. I mean, I, if, I, if my, I have two daughters, if they wanna play soccer, they can play soccer it's easy you know we just sign them up down the street if they want to play lacrosse they, they can play lacrosse if they want to try out for the boys football team they can do it but in some of these other countries that's not even an option these young girls have to get permission from their families they have to get permission from the club from their schools and if you know if their father does not want them to play a sport then because it's a religious belief or or what their families do or don't want for them then then they don't have that opportunity so that I think that was the most important thing that I learned. And also, um, it was eye-opening for my daughters, who also traveled with me to some of these places to, to see how lucky that they are. Just one thing about culture, without a doubt, with all the people I've interviewed on my podcast show, without a doubt, culture is a pillar with regards to how you can be a better professional when you're mindful, and you have touched on it just then. But just to reaffirm this point, how is like you said, understanding different belief systems, cultures, 
has made you a better professional when working around the world? Just for the listeners to be mindful that like you could have the degree in that, but when you put yourself out there, particularly in the football industry, if you can understand this, and what I mean this, everybody, it's the way we communicate as well. That's what I've learned the most, reflecting even through this conversation and being mindful of culture. It's made me more better of how I approach myself. Carly, I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've just said, because if people get this, I think you become more, more open when working with people around the world as well. So being mindful of culture is, is a big deal, and I think we all need to take that into consideration when we're educating, um, when we're visiting different countries, and not just take for granted our beliefs. Um, we need to understand and appreciate everyone's different beliefs, different culture systems, and not force our beliefs on them. I love that because it means we can be ourselves. And again, I hope people are just taking notes at this point. And Carly, thank you so much for sharing that behind the scenes. I feel like we're at a lovely stage of the interview. I'd like to finish with an inspirational one. You provided so much with regards to the ACL, the paradata. But with regards to working in the football industry, what tips would you give to the listener right now so they can put into action if it's sports medicine? Like what's like real tips would you give to them working in the football industry, what would they be out of interest? So first of all, I think we all need to do this for the betterment of the player. The reason I got into medicine was to make people better. So, and I think that has to be the same way to push forward with women's football. We want to make these players better. We need to make them the best that they can possibly be physically and mentally. As a um, member of the uh, football community, if you in the industry, whether you're a coach or um, work for a big company or a stakeholder for a team, I think the player needs to come first. So that would be my, my advice is put the player first and then everything else should be okay. You know, if we really put the well-being of the player first, then everything else will make sense. Then we will be able to do the studies that we need and get the data that we need and make the appropriate recommendations because we're doing it for the betterment of the player and not for the betterment of the surrounding industry. I love that answer because I think sometimes we forget that, like you said, there's so many distractions of the business side of football, but actually if we focus on the player, they are, at the end of the day, the product that entertains us if it's World Cups or in leagues. Um, Carly, I've so much enjoyed this podcast chat. Out of interest, how can people interact with you online? Like, Where are the best places to go? So I'm on LinkedIn. I think it's under Dr. Carly. Uh, Carly Richards. I'm also on Instagram. My Instagram name is Dr. Carly Seven. So I would be happy to take messages on either of those platforms. Amazing to all the listeners listening in. Those two links to my website with regards to this amazing podcast chat. Carly, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Ed. This is why I love podcasting, and I'm so grateful that Dr. Carly was a podcast special guest on the show literally at the Athens Women's Football Summit, just to give you some behind the scenes. We had breakfast together with the build-up to the summit and she was just explaining everything very similar to this podcast chat. I said, Carly, can we get on a mic? I had my mics in Athens and we made it happen. And from an ACL standpoint with regards to data, I hope you've got a better understanding why data is so important right now with regards to the women's game to reduce injuries but also provide protocols and procedures of recovery for these players after their treatment and then from the spirit of football this is just a story that just lights me up it just that part of our conversation reminds me why people work in the football industry in particular 
that it's about the spirit of the game. And honestly, the ball was phenomenal. Like to have that in front of me whilst chatting to Carly was just phenomenal. And I've had the privilege myself to sign it. But what it stands for with regards to quality, equity of everybody having their voice and right in the game without any stigma, without any boundaries. For me, I'm a firm believer this ball can break the boundaries and really bring people together. As she said, it's that unity. And it's just such a privilege to hear this story on top of the ACL conversation. So look, if you really enjoyed this podcast chat, please subscribe. But most importantly, really apply what Dr. Carly said right at the end. Whatever area of the football industry you work in, focus on the player. And when you have that in mind, you're figuring out how to solve problems to make the product better on the pitch, which will be a result off the pitch as well, from the grassroots all the way up to the professional side of the game. So look, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, make sure you subscribe. Keep being awesome with regards to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Dr. Carly said, being mindful of culture is a big deal when educating others, when working in different countries. Don't take it for granted relating to the work you do.